So I was hoping to come in about 80,000 and it was about 180,000. So more than twice the budget. People suggested that I put tile on the concrete flooring. And so that drove the cost up about another $8,000 and changing the building site. So that raised the driveway cost and the sewer cost, the water cost. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and today we have an incredible guest joining us. Laura Kuntz is an elementary school teacher and mother of three grown daughters. She's here to share her journey of building her own tiny house. Since high school, Laura has been obsessed with the idea of living in a small home, and now, as an empty nester, she finally had the perfect opportunity to make her dream a reality. In this episode, Laura walks us through the steps she took to go from being a tiny house enthusiast to a proud homeowner. She shares insights about finding the right location, navigating building codes and permits in the strict state of Massachusetts, and her unique choice of building her tiny house on a foundation instead of on wheels and acting as her own contractor. Stay tuned for an inspiring conversation with Laura about turning a lifelong dream into a tangible, beautiful home. I love to cook in my tiny house kitchen, but I don't always love to clean up. And one of my big concerns with going tiny was losing the convenience of a dishwasher. That's why I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you, the Fotile 2-in-1 in-sink dishwasher. It's a dishwasher built into a sink, and it's perfect for tiny house living. This innovative appliance is perfect for modern living in compact spaces. With its efficient design, it saves lower cabinet space and fits perfectly into a standard 36-inch cabinet base, making it ideal for tiny homes. But it's not just about saving space. It's about saving time and water, too. The Fotile 2-in-1 in-sink dishwasher offers a quick wash cycle of just 20 minutes, getting your dishes clean in no time. 45-minute standard and 80-minute intensive washes are also available. Plus, it saves nearly 50% of the water a regular dishwasher would consume. With its ergonomic top-loading design, you don't need to bend over like you would with a traditional dishwasher, making it perfect for small kitchens. When it comes to cleanliness, the Fotile 2-in-1 in-sink dishwasher doesn't disappoint. With five standard washing and rinsing cycles and a 360-degree cleaning system, it eliminates 99.99% of E. coli and other common bacteria from your dishes, promoting a healthy kitchen environment. Are you worried about installation? Don't be. Fotile provides a comprehensive DIY installation tutorial online, and they are offering Tiny House Lifestyle podcast listeners a special extended five-year limited warranty. There are over 30 million families around the world enjoying Fotile's full range of cooktops, ovens, range hoods, and in-sink dishwashers. They've channeled 20 years of experience and expertise into these innovative compact dishwashers. This amazing dishwasher has a rating of 4.7 out of 5 on Lowe's.com. Visit us.fotileglobal.com slash THLP to learn more and purchase your Fotile 2-in-1 in-sync dishwasher today. That's us.fotileglobal.com slash THLP. That link will be in the show notes too. Upgrade your tiny home kitchen with Fotile and experience the convenience of modern living in a compact space. All right, I am here with Laura Kuntz. Laura is an elementary school teacher and mother of three grown daughters who lives in central Massachusetts in a rural area. 
building a tiny house has been a bucket list item for her since she was in high school and she is here to talk about it. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So talk to me about this this bucket list item, like tiny houses. This has been a lifelong dream of yours. So I, I think that it might have started in high school. We had choices mm-hmm. of classes and I took an interior design class. Okay. So I remember in high school being really fascinated with small homes and mm-hmm. we lived on five acres and I recall saying to my father, oh, I could build a tiny house in the yard. That'd be so mm-hmm. great. And he's like, no, 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 you can't do that. You know? <laughs> uh-huh. So um, kind of been an obsession since then. Okay. So I have, you know, I'm kind of in a place in my life where I can downsize. I'm mm-hmm. nearly an empty nester. Mm-hmm. And it was a good opportunity for me to complete this. Nice. So... um when did you start, you know, can you talk me through kind of the steps? Like, what did you do to kind of go from just being, you know, a tiny house lover, tiny house curious, which a lot of us are, to somebody who is really on the track to building their own? Sure. So over the years, I've watched tons of TV shows, read tons of books. And I was in a situation where I started working an hour away. Mm-hmm. So I had a very long commute. And I knew that that wasn't sustainable for me. I had done that for a year. And I was in this you know, family home of ours that was too large for one person. I didn't see the need to have all that space mm-hmm. and the money involved with keeping up that space. So I started looking at land that was closer to my job and I looked at two different towns because we have a big reservoir between mm-hmm. the middle of two different towns and comparing prices of lots and one town was significantly higher than the other and ended up finding a lot that had public water, public sewer right on my path to work. Mm-hmm. And my father was helpful and, you know, speaking to the landlord and seeing uh, the, uh, sorry, the real estate agent and seeing if this was a buildable lot because it actually only had 35 feet of frontage. Okay. So, but they had gone to get the um, necessary improvements to build on that piece of land. Mm-hmm. So that was really lucky because if I had to get a septic system, that was going to drive my cost out of my budget. Yeah. Yeah. That is really expensive. So I thought, again, this was in the beginning of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I thought that I could do the build for about half of what it actually ended up costing. Okay. The uh, stipulations in Massachusetts, you know, are pretty rigid. Yeah. And so I obviously had to adhere to all the building codes. So I kind of, I designed the house. I started sketching things out on paper and mm-hmm. I had a friend who kind of mentored me in the beginning of the process, who's a general contractor. And he connected me with a designer, you know, who could actually put the plans on paper CAD designer. Yep. So we sent the drawings to the CAD designer and they put it in, you know, actual blueprint form. So that was the beginning. Then I had to get my building permit. Mm -hmm. And that took much longer than what I realized. Okay. So in hindsight, now I realized that you need a solid six months just to get your permits in place. Wow. So I was curious, 
Um, it seems like you were, you were set on a tiny house on a foundation and I'm curious, you know, did you consider a tiny house on a trailer and, and why did you, you know, why did you make the choice that you did? Oh, absolutely. I have considered a tiny house on a trailer. That's not doable. Uh I'm not sure if that's doable anywhere in Massachusetts. That's not doable in the town they came from and the town I was going to. Got it. They don't allow that considered an RV. Yeah. So that's why I didn't do that. Yeah, I've heard that Massachusetts, I've heard that Massachusetts is particularly like uh, strict on tiny houses. Absolutely. And if I had moved to Vermont, New Hampshire, then you can live in a house on wheels, but not in Massachusetts. It doesn't seem like any town. Yeah. I think you'd have to live in a campground if you're going to do that. Okay. So I also consider getting a, like a prefab of Vermont cottage mm-hmm. and dropping that down. Yep. And I think if I had gone that direction, that would have been great. But again, there's like a six month lead time to design that, order that, have it delivered. So you really have to have it planned out, you know, a solid year yep. in advance. Yep. And I was trying to get something done fairly quickly, which it didn't take the time frame that I expected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so so we're up to the point where you you got your building permits. You thought it would you didn't realize how long it would take and it took 6 months, but this is like because you're building a house on a foundation, you know, you're essentially building I'm going to say a quote-unquote normal house. Like you have to get building permits and you have to submit plans to the town. I'm guessing they have to approve them. Is that is that all correct? Am I assuming correctly? Absolutely. So I learned so much because again I'm not in construction and yeah people were great actually everybody was very friendly and small town but again being a small town things seem to be a little lost in translation people are only working two days a week and it's very hard to pinpoint people Um, also being in the pandemic and understanding like exactly who I needed to speak to to get certain things in place and not understanding all of the permits that I needed. That was a, a big learning curve for sure. Mm-hmm. So getting a surveyor out to the land, we actually started pinpointing one location and then my excavator suggested going to a different location. So we had my son-in-law and crew had cleared the original piece of land. And then the excavator said the other spot on the land was better. So we had, I'd wasted all that money Mm. and in actuality, I went through four different excavators in the process. So there was a lot of delays. The excavating was a huge delay because that gentleman came highly regarded, but had kind of overcommitted himself, I think, and was kind of approaching retirement. And he suggested me to a gentleman at the town who was also very nice, but completely over scheduled. Yeah. And I said, is it okay if I go on to look for somebody else and ended up getting somebody that was actually very quick when I got the right person. Ah. But again, I started in the fall and then I had to wait until spring for everything to thaw out. And I went from I just my house is on a slab. So okay. I, th- I thought I would say would save money that way, which I think I did. Mhm. And it's it's awesome. I mean, it doesn't look like a tiny house at all. It's 500 square feet. Mm-hmm. It's very tall. And so it's very deceiving. Okay. 
and when you when you go inside, it's very open concept. Mm-hmm. And there's very little I would change about it. I'm very pleased with the way it came out. Okay. It was about twice the budget. What was your what was your initial budget and what did it end up costing? So I was hoping to come in about eighty thousand uh-huh. and it was about a hundred and eighty thousand. So more than twice the budget. Um yeah. you know, I reading all these books and whatnot, I was had these great dreams of recycled materials and um in actuality I ended up using, you know, Lowe's and Home Depot materials, um, new materials, not really I did use some antique windows from the local vineyard. Yeah. But I had really thought that I could use a lot of recycled materials. And in actuality, for ease and you know, structural integrity, I ended up using a lot of new, mostly yeah. all new materials. So I think I economized, but I was going to go much more basic than I actually went. And I think if mm-hmm. I had made the home more of like a one and a half story structure rather than it's a two story structure. Yep. And little things like improvements. I was just going to do a sealed concrete flooring. Mm-hmm. And then people suggested that I put tile on the concrete flooring. And so that drove the cost up about another $8,000. Yep. yep. Changing the building site, it went from being about 100 feet into the property to 300 feet into the property. So that raised the driveway cost and the sewer cost, and the water cost and yep. everything. So that was about a $20,000 driveway, which is not what I expected at all. Yeah, it's expe- it's everything everything is expensive in building. Absolutely. I mean, and I again, I know the cost lumber costs were more in the pandemic. Yep. Getting the crew because as my own contractor, so getting all the crew was very challenging and trying to juggle their schedules was very challenging yeah. because again I'm that's yeah. not my that's not what I do for a living. So trying to be assertive, I think, as a yeah. person, but also being accommodating because I think I lost a couple guys when I was too assertive. Ah. But you have to be assertive enough to get the job done. <laughs> yeah. So that was interesting. It sounds like you could probably do it again and do it a lot more efficiently. Absolutely. I mean, I yeah. I love the structure itself and mostly every all the guys and I say guys because mm-hmm. I think it was all men that were working with me, but mm-hmm. mostly everyone was great and I would feel very comfortable doing it again. Mm-hmm. I would like to put a couple more homes on that land if I if it's possible with the nice. planning board for rentals. Mm-hmm. And my house is really tailored to myself for one person living. Yeah. But if I were going to do a rental, I would make it more efficient for like two people. You know, yeah. have yeah. I have two lofts rather than one larger bedroom upstairs. Okay. And maybe a half bath or something. So the lofts are quite small. Okay. And how did you how did you finance your build? So what I ended up doing, um, I own a home and I refinanced it and I took a chunk out of that. Mm-hmm. Nice. And again, so I, I went through that and mm-hmm. and then I had to get out another loan actually. 
or just a small loan to finish because I did go over budget. Yep. Yep. My whole intent was to get my living expenses, my housing expenses down to about 500 a month. Uh-huh. And it ends up being about 1000 a month. Uh-huh. So I would like to try again, maybe someday in the future to do off the grid house and see if I can get my expenses down to about 500 a month. Okay. I'm not sure if that's possible. And is the idea that you'll, are you going to sell your, the home that you own or are you, do you keep that as a rental? Like how do, do you, I have yeah. that as a rental? Okay. Yeah. So I have that as a rental. Nice. And that's, it's good when I, since I end up fi- refinancing, the rent uh-huh. covers the mortgage. I don't make money off of it per se. Okay. Okay. But, but building equity. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there, there are probably listeners who are in a similar situation as you who have maybe owned a home for a little while and are considering, you know, using the equity in that home to build a tiny home and to kind of downshift in a way, downsize. Um, any kind of lessons or learning specifically around that kind of setup of like, you know, leveraging a, a home that you own to, to do a tiny home? Well, um, the person that was mentoring me mm-hmm. when they started their construction business, that's what, you know, he said they kind of uh, refinanced, they kind of uh, borrowed to build one thing and then sold. They were uh, buying and yep. building homes as spec homes and then selling them and then taking that profit and rolling it into the next build. So, and they were able to create a really productive, lucrative business. Yeah. For myself, I think that I learned in order to stay on budget, I had to really be a lot more careful. And I think it was a little bit unrealistic for me, Mm -hmm. again, building in the area, which I did in Massachusetts, and having such rigid requirements, mm-hmm. I think I was a little disillusioned as to the cost involved. Um, I do think yeah. I could do a more affordable build in a different state, yeah. like I said, with some recycled materials. And I'm really curious about that. But I think it's great. I always tell my daughters, I have three daughters, and I tell them, you know, buy property, rent it out, mm-hmm. just start building your equity. I think that's. A wonderful thing. Yeah. And if you can, if you're savvy with finances, which I am not, then, you know, you can bank against that equity and you can mm-hmm. do more things with it. I, that's something I want to learn right. more and, and teach my daughters is to really be smart with your finances and make it grow. Yeah. So I don't have a lot of, you know, money. I don't have a lot of uh, loan, if you will, to pay off the tiny house. Yep. And yep. my goal is when I get when I retire in about ten years that I won't have mm-hmm. a mortgage on that. Nice, because that's part of my retirement plan is to okay not have a mortgage. Yeah. So your expenses will go down once you finish paying off the the small loan that you took for the tiny house. Absolutely. Yeah. So that will be just uh, insurance and utilities. That will fit in that five hundred dollar a month range. Nice, but right now, yeah, I have to pay off my loan, so it's still way less than renting an apartment. I mean, the re- apartments yeah. around here are minimum seventeen hundred a month. So, yep, to live on land and have it be under a thousand dollars a month, yeah, 
I strongly encourage, I have, I work with a lot of younger women mm-hmm. that are desperately trying to buy their own home. And I tell them to try this route because you can't get an apartment for this kind of money. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're not, you know, when you're, when you're renting an apartment, you're not building any equity in a, in a place. You're paying someone else's mortgage rather than your own. Absolutely. And I, I love it. I mean, I, it's very comfortable. It's very clean. Like I said, I designed it mm-hmm. for myself and it's not for everyone. Cause I have just a, like a cooktop mm-hmm. and I don't have a dishwasher. I have a small fridge mm-hmm. and it's very functional because I did a lot of kind of visualizing as to what would work for me and the flow of everything. Yep. yep. It's very easy to clean. And so, but again, it's tailored to, for me. So I love it. Not everybody sure. obviously is interested in tiny house living, but it's very easy for a single person to, yeah. you know, it's a rectangle. So I can walk around my home. I can check, make sure there's no damage. I can hose it down. I can do my landscaping. I have a mini split system. It's very efficient. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have propane only for my hot water. So my that's the best quality in my house is my walk-in shower. It's I designed it so it's just a um Ooh. and you just walk right in and the floor dips down into the drain. Uh-huh. And it's so wonderful. I have like a, a rainforest shower head. Uh-huh. And it's like on-demand hot water. You can take like a half an hour shower if you wanted to, and it never runs out. And um my propane bill, I think I've paid $25 in the last eight months. So wow, very easy. Wow. Yeah. That's been great. That's awesome. Yeah. I, it's fun. You can, you can have almost like luxury features in a tiny home for not luxury prices, you know, like a walk-in shower with the, you know, the shower head and the unlimited hot water. It's like, you might only be able to get that in a million dollar home or if you go to a spa, but you've got it in your tiny home. Right. That is absolutely the best. And that I really thought about that long and hard mm-hmm. because I thought it'd be so great to have a little tub, especially in the winter. Yep. And I could not find an affordable tub that would fit in the space because my bathroom is 16 feet long. It's the width of the house. Yep. And then it's only four feet deep. Okay. So I could not fit a tub in that space. Mm. Or at least not one that I wanted to spend the money on because you can find them for $500, but I didn't want to spend that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it ends up being great. And yeah, the only negative I think I would have is that my I got a, a veggie sink, like a small sink. Okay. And it's a little too small. Okay. okay. <laughs> That's the only negative. <laughs> I noticed that like when I'm washing dishes, it kind of splashes out too much and I really could have used a little bit, little bit larger sink. Yeah. But other than that, it's been awesome. I, I want to talk about, you know, being your own contractor because I think that that is, a, it's almost like a middle ground between doing your own build where like you do it and, you know, just hiring a company to be the contractor and say like, you know, I'm going to pay you this pile of money and you're going to build the house. Can you like, for someone who's listening, who might not even be familiar, like, what does that mean if you are your own contractor? So 
when I went to get my building permit, the try to remember the title of the gentleman to get my building permit, but the building inspector, mm-hmm. he, you know, kind of raised an eyebrow about me being my own contractor. And I had to sign a waiver saying that I'm responsible for all of the subcontractors that I have uh, liability insurance if anybody get, is to get hurt. Mm-hmm. And I do have special insurance on, well, I did at the time on the property that uh, I think they classified it as rental property at the time. So it's just covering mm-hmm. liability for the property during the build. Mm-hmm. And so I did, like I said, I did have to sign a waiver saying I was responsible and that I would check that all the subcontractors have their own liability insurance. Yep. So I had verbal conversations with all the contractors saying, yes, they have their own liability insurance. So like I said, I had a mentor in the beginning mm-hmm. that got me started, connected with like the, a framer that would work. And it, I got the excavator on my own. So, so I got a bunch of the guys on my own. And then I had references for some of the other guys. Uh-huh. And some of the codes and whatnot my mentor kind of told me, you know, got to look out for this. Then you need to look out for that. And then some things I just Googled. Yep. I actually didn't know the code for the bathroom. And okay. I was within an inch of being too small between like the toilet and the wall and the window and the shower. So I didn't know those codes until we had already framed it out. And it was uh. very interesting because the framers asking me questions and saying, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I'm like, uh, okay, you know, it was crazy. I was at the site every day and I would either have to discuss it with the framer or make decisions on the fly and sometimes call in my mentor and just say, what am I supposed to do about this? So I, you know, highly recommend knowing somebody if you're going to do it on your own or somebody that's done it mm-hmm. to bounce things mm-hmm. off of mm-hmm. because to go in blindly could be risky, but I feel confident doing it again on my own, completely on my own this time, because okay. now I know exactly what to do. So yes, you, you're liable and you need to, you know, anybody can do it. I imagine at least in this, in the town where I was building, yeah. you can do that for yourself. And what you save is it's a hundred percent markup if you have a contractor. So you're going to save, you know, a lot of money right there mm-hmm. doing it yourself. My house would have been, you know, easily twice as much if I hired somebody to do it. So highly recommend doing it on your own, not rocket science. Yep. Yep. One, one thing you really have to keep track of just all the paperwork and the schedule and yep. Yep. constantly communicating. Like I was teaching and I would get phone calls from the plumber, the electrician, and you need to have <laughs> answers right away. Yep. So that was a little challenging. Right. I believe it. Yeah. But. Well, like I said, everybody was really great. That's awesome. Do you are there any resources that you kind of know of or or use that you can you know share in terms of being your own contractor? It sounds like having that you know mentor was very helpful for you. That was very very helpful, and I yeah. could not thank him enough. But I think you know I know there's some books out there about mm-hmm. outlining the process. Mm-hmm. And literally, he had written me a list, uh, like a timeline of what needs to happen first. And I think if you Google things like that, that for me Mm -hmm. was really important because a couple of things I learned 
when you get toward the end, you you know, the different guys need to sign off at different times. Yep. So, you know, such and such a plumber can't come in until somebody else comes in and they, you know, insulation has to come in after the sheetrocking and all these things. So that timeline right at the end gets really crucial of scheduling your guys because if one guy yeah isn't available for a month, now you've just lost a month waiting for him. Yeah. So I think at the beginning, starting out early, so you have all your permits in place, and then at the end, being right on top of getting your guys lined up uh-huh. so that you're not just wasting time. Because I wasted months at the back end. Okay. And because my guys were busy, they had got, and in, in doing a small house, they were busy with bigger jobs. So I was kind of at the whim of, you know, waiting for them mm. to come and finish my little job. Mm. So, and my, my electrician was at 40 minutes away and he was great, but right. a couple times I had to wait for him to finish doing something else. So. Yeah. It does sound like the timing everything out is really important because, you know, your electrician has to drive 40 minutes and they get there and then something is not ready for them. Something's not in place and then they can't, they can't do the work. Absolutely. And they, you know, you don't want them to be frustrated either and waste their time. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to be on top of that and just constantly communicating with the guys. Yep. One thing that I thought was funny as a woman was like mm-hmm. the only issue that I had, or it wasn't really an issue, but I thought it was funny. Every time I went to the lumber yard, which was numerous times, yeah, they didn't really remember me coming in there. and I. And they said, you know, what's your contractor's name? And I said, it's me. It's under my name. Yeah. And they said, yeah, yeah. But but who's doing the build? And I'm like, it's under my name. And then they couldn't find it in the computer. And I said, I need the same roofing material that I bought last time. And they said, well, um, they would have trouble putting it up on the computer every time. And then I'd (laughs) go around to the inventory and the guy would say, hey, cutie, let me help you, you know, put that in the car. And I'm like, I'm good. I can get it. And then like, well, who's going to help you take it out of the car when you get there? And I'm like, I'm good. I have it, you know. <laughs> but they were, that was the only place where I really felt like, on one hand, I felt empowered when I would pull up in my overalls and I would borrow my son-in-law's yeah. big pickup truck. And on the other hand, I felt frustrated because I'm like, really, guys, you know, because I've been in here like five times and yeah, I've told you this information. <laughs> you know? Well, as you were saying, <laughs> as you were telling me that story, I literally like face palmed. I like put my palm over my face. I was like, I can't believe that. <laughs> but yet I can. Oh, my gosh. But it was it was so fun and I loved it and uh, strongly encourage anybody but you know women especially to try yep. to do something like that like i said because i know rent is crazy expensive i have several coworkers yep. who want to buy a house and and that are super handy and smart mm-hmm. and would be very mm-hmm. capable i think people don't understand that that's a possibility you know yeah. for anybody yeah well, that's that's really awesome. Are there any other you know resources that you might like to share with our listeners that have helped you out along the way, either in tiny houses or contracting or anything like that? I think, again, like 
just asking lots of questions and being, it's funny because I think you, when the guys are doing their work, you should be, you know, interested, but not in their way and learning a lot and having answers Mm -hmm. ready to go, but also not being intrusive. And then as a really fine line of staying in contact with the guys and having all the information Mm -hmm. at the ready, but also not bugging them too much and understanding that they have a schedule to keep. So just being organized. And like I said, I had read like every kind of tiny house book I could find and watched every kind of TV show and podcast and everything because I was so passionate about it. And so I think eventually some of it sunk into my brain a little bit, but you know, if I, if there's any parents out there that have young children, Mm -hmm. I encourage you to teach your children how to hammer, how to measure, how to do all these things. Cause I really wish I actually knew how to do the building myself Yeah, because I'm kind of watching and I wish so badly that I actually had the skills to do some of the work because when the -hmm. guys weren't available, I was just stuck waiting. And Mm. so if you have children, I really encourage people to teach their, their, you know, the children or their loved ones, how to do these hands on things. My father, my brother, very handy and can do a lot of renovations, but I was never (laughs) able to, uh, learn those skills as of yet. So I'm really hoping in the future to learn some of those skills for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. With the finances, I think that all, you know, all people, especially younger people should learn as much as they can. That's not a strong point of mine. Learn how to make their money work for them. And that's, again, something I want to learn more of because the sky's the limit when you can make your money work for you. Mm-hmm. We all try. <laughs> I think that you're you're pretty far ahead of of most other people so don't don't count yourself out. Well, Laura Kuntz, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. This was it was really fun to, to meet you and and hear about your tiny house journey. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to Laura Kuntz for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes including a complete transcript and photos of Laura's beautiful tiny home at thetinyhouse.net slash 275. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 275. There you will also find more info about our wonderful sponsor, Fotile, and their two-in-one in-sync dishwasher. There is a link on the show notes for this episode so you can visit their page and learn more about this awesome appliance. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.